This is Ross Coulthard, and you are listening to That UFO Podcast. Hi everyone, and welcome to a breaking news breakdown after David Grush unexpectedly appeared on the Joe Rogan podcast on the 20th of November, I think it was. as 21st? Don't correct me on the <laughs> November. I'll edit that out and make it sound like I knew what I was talking about. Yeah, uh, on the twenty-first of November. Uh, joining me to discuss this, as you've just heard, is Dan. Hello, Dan. Hello, hello. Yeah, this is the the third episode we've we've done on Grush. So I guess Grush Hour Three. Grush Hour Three. Yep, they're making a Grush Hour Four. I think. Are they? Oh, actually, Rush Hour Four, not Grush. <laughs> I think they're actually they're getting mixed up. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it is, and this was unexpected. This is a bit of an unstructured kind of run through the, the the conversation that he's had with joe rogan um it dropped in the morning in the us the uk in the afternoon uh, not a lot of folks knew it was happening um that's irrelevant anyway the main thing is it's happened and yeah it was a very pleasant surprise dan when you saw that dropping you kind of dropped everything you were doing and yeah, listened I, to it at three speed I, I literally pulled over by the side of the road and just listened to it at three speed and made my notes and stuff. And, you know, there was a lot of going back and forward. But, yeah, it was very exciting to see that drop. And Grush hasn't done an in-depth conversation like that for three hours. I think the closest we got was the hearings. And there were a lot of, like, red lines that they hit, the stuff they couldn't talk about because of classification. But he seemed a little looser here. We got a better idea of him as a person. Um, and, yeah, I, I well, I'll keep my conclusions for the end, but yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's fair. Um, I was playing football last night, so I got like the first half hour and then managed to watch the rest of it today. Um, why is this important for you? For me, it's hearing Grush in more of a free-flowing setting, as well as the opportunity. You know, Rogan's not everyone's cup of tea, but he does ask follow-up questions. And when someone says, I can't talk about that, he will say why, you know? Yeah. So it, it was a really good way to to get those questions addressed. And we still found some red lines. There was still stuff the Grush couldn't talk about, but there were some extra details given, some extra reasons, you, you know? Yeah, I've got my notes laid out in just kind of chunky, small paragraph form, all in order. So they should be pretty much um, timeline congruent, if that's even a accurate phrase to use. I've got no idea what that even <laughs> linear. means. Let's go for linear. Yeah, for, in a linear fashion. Um so he talks about his job, like you say, very relaxed, doesn't he, when he goes on. I think the idea is in the setup, they don't just sit down and start talking. Like they've clearly been speaking for a while beforehand and had meetings yeah, and stuff. And... I, I think Joe, it's a regular thing that he'll go for dinner the night before they record yeah. with the person who's in town to record with him, uh, which is great, you know. I, I do that. I send a, a Uber Eats or Deliveroo voucher to the guest and uh, <laughs> we, we sit on Zoom and talk. Um, so he talks about his first his job, first experience of UFO, UFO stuff in the job was speaking to someone about Lou Elizondo in early 2017. I think folks know David Grush from his, his UFO stuff. Same as you, same as me. We weren't like, oh yeah, have you heard this David Grush guy before this? That's He had a job. But it was to do with all kinds of special access programs and and uh, and being involved in various briefs. That was after his career in the military as well, and what he was doing with that. Um, but he he recognised the name OSAP from reading reports um, from the DIA, so Defence Intelligence Agency, on black holes, time works, etc. And he thought that was strange. He saw that stuff in there, basically. I, I loved that he gave us that extra detail because this is him hearing about Elizondo pre-reporting about Alessandro, you know, so this is before the New York Times articles dropped. Yeah. And his his eyebrow is just raising at the strangeness of all of this, that he, he was surprised that there was a program, you know, his words, not mine, there was a program yep. run by Lou Alessandro at the Pentagon investigating the UFOs and, and the DIA looking at black holes in time. You, you know, if, if you're someone who just does intel and you're looking, you know, what's Russia up to, what's China up to, and then suddenly you're seeing people looking into black holes and time and compression of time and stuff like that, you know, I, I can see why your eyebrows would go up a bit of that. Yeah, and not just Lou Elizondo, I suppose that adds a little bit of credibility and weight. Not that I personally think there's an argument there over did Lou Elizondo have a job? Yes, he did. He did do that job. Yeah. I struggle with the people who still say he didn't. It's an odd argument to keep keep going with. But there's the, the phrase with his smoke, there's fire. Like the house is full of smoke at this point. Like Lou, Lou did the job, you know? <laughs> 
either that or he was a guy just hanging about the Pentagon, which <laughs> which would have been really, really strange. Um, <laughs> like, and just getting involved in a lot of stuff he shouldn't have. Um, but also, I think through this, I'll mention George Knapp, I think, and his work with the Skinwalkers at the Pentagon book and Initial Revelations. Mm-hmm. There's added credibility and weight to that, regardless yep. of what people may or may not think of it. Because, well, as long as you believe david grush and you're with him i think there's added weight to that because he backs up their books and he says you know he'd been reading into this kind of stuff and there's something to that so i think that's something that came from this interview as it kind of went along um he reaffirms a lot of stuff but also touches on some some extra information so a lot of it you might have heard if you've watched his other stuff but it's just interesting hearing a guy like this say all he does on this kind of platform um you mentioned joining the uap task force early 2019 starts interviewing navy pilots and the like they were seeing crazy stuff we know this he tells a story of a triangle that was seen by a military witness where he mentions a triangle as he was driving to a, a facility came over his truck um the paintwork turned milky white from what he said could have been ionized radiation Rogan does do a good job here of asking, like you say, Dan, follow-up details of the incident, the altitude of the craft, how long it lasted, anything conventional that could explain it. Um, And I've just put here as a podcaster, that was the joys of having unlimited time with a guest like that, where you can be like, yeah, if you're here for three hours, you're here for three hours. Like, I'll just keep talking. Um, yeah, exactly. But it, I, it, it does like good the, with that. He asked, you know, were there, is this word of mouth stuff or is this like, did you see hard evidence of this? And, and Grush explained, yeah, there were photographs of this. You, you know, this isn't just a story. Um, yeah. The guy didn't report it until about five years after it happened. And a cool detail that I've not seen mentioned before is that supposedly the craft had purplish glowing edges. Yes. Uh, which, I mean, it just sounds cool. Like, sounds very sci-fi and cool. Um, it's an awesome visual. And I mean awesome in the truest sense of the word. You know, your jaw will be on the floor. Does that for you? Because as soon, soon as I heard that, and I've, I've heard that kind of stuff before, that there's a glow to these things or an aura, whatever it may be, do you think for some folks who aren't as well versed in the UFO topic or conversation, uh, that could be off-putting as an extra detail that is just too woo? There's, there's something about we saw a mysterious object, oh, it was a triangle, oh, it hovered silently, it was glowing purple around the edges. Ah, uh, okay, so... I, I just i'm fine with it but i just wondered from that audience point of view is there an element that goes mm, okay now it was glowing was it yeah probably um but i mean the, those we, we spoke about this a few weeks back where i was saying you know people have strange red lines that they won't cross they're fine talking about ghosts but the second you talk about goblins they're like no that's ridiculous i can't talk about that yeah so to me that's just you know it's a detail that he's repeating that was yeah. a fact you know like that's just it. A f- don't know why it was the first thing that came to my head just thinking of the rogan audience um and that's a big big demographic big uh, yeah various demographics as well which is a good thing um fall 2019 he mentions a member of one of these programs and like i've said folks just to give me and dan an out here um this is very much initial thoughts if there are little details we've made a mistake on or missed out go back and watch the full interview listen to the full interview it's worth doing and i very much recommend that because it's 100%. it's good Um, And there are so many people on social media right now, like grabbing clips from the show, digging into stuff that he said. And there's a few, a few lines drawn between some, some surprising things that we'll mention as we go through, but more stuff like that is just going to keep coming up over the next few days. Yeah. Uh, So in fall 2019, um, fall is autumn. Yeah. Fall is autumn because the leaves fall. Um, And fall 2019, a member of one of these programs came forward to tell him he was working on a program looking at crashed materials. Um, he said that he should report up the chain as he is on the UFP, UAP task force. So the guy came to David Grush and said, I'm working on one of these programs. I can't do anything about it, but you're on this task force that's meant to investigate this. Please report up the chain for me. Um, and if not, then the task force is a total waste of time because this is the stuff you should be talking about and looking at. Um, Grush cough, had arrow, the- cough. Yes, Grush had the contacts and the knowledge of who to talk to, given the wider role. So he understood what the guy was telling him or or lady was telling him that, you know, you've been working on something. It sounds pretty incredible. Who have you been working on it with? What have you been doing? Given his knowledge of what he worked on, it checked out. He went up the chain. And when he got to that upper level, that kind of glass ceiling, um, the gatekeepers, when he approached them, the people in charge of these things basically gave him an F.U., 
like a, an administrative fu. I think he used a few yeah. times during this, <laughs> and um, basically it was like, nope, thanks very much, but you're not coming any further. Which is even very though it was Wilson his job. documents, right? Like this is to to me, this is something that the Grush represents now. You know, the Wilson documents were amazing. The Wilson documents, for for those who haven't looked at them, detail a meeting between Eric, sorry, between Admiral Wilson and supposedly the the secret keepers um, of the legacy program. And Wilson has it admitted whether it happened or not. But to me, David Grush kind of asserts that he he's the modern guy who is talking, and he's telling us his firsthand experience. You know, we're not just having people call up Aaron Wilson and, and bother him in his retirement. <laughs> and George Knapp and Jeremy Corbell got the Wilson Davis memo submitted into the hearing, didn't they? Uh, yeah, congressional records. So congressional records. Doesn't mean it's true, but it's there in an official capacity to be looked at. And um, I believe it's true. People, if you're not sure on those, I've never heard about that. Joe Murgia done a wonderful deep dive on it. Richard yep. Dolan's done the same. Um, I interviewed Joe Murgia and had a big conversation about the timeline and we dug into it a little bit as I was finding out more about it. Go back and check that one out as well. But Wilson Davis notes, Wilson Davis memo, very much uh, UFO lore, it, but really interesting. There was a little tidbit from the Salt Foundation conference, which I guess we won't get into here because those lectures are forthcoming. Yeah. But supposedly it came out that you know eric davis is kind of in trouble for for letting some of those details leak out and i say leak didn't really leak they were in someone's files in someone's estate at yeah. mitchell's estate um so yeah no one should be in trouble but it just vouches for the authenticity of them not for what they say but just that the meeting happened yeah um i've put a little asterisk here to remind myself that david grush does mention he is aware that a lot and i think this is a really good thing to mention especially to that audience he is aware a lot of what he is passing on is second-hand knowledge and some will dismiss that as hearsay which is fair um he did say as a throwaway line i don't know if people picked up on this if you were listening to it at three speed dan um, but he does say i do have some first-hand knowledge and hope to talk about that someday i'm hoping i'm cleared to do so and it sounded like that was kind of in the in the process so that's hopefully something he can come out and say I've got some first-hand knowledge of stuff, not just interviews and that people have told me or that I've seen pictures, but here is my, you know, own experience. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I remember that coming up and that was, again, that was a pause and go back and just make sure that he said what he said uh, because we haven't heard that before. We haven't heard David say that, you know, he has, has first-hand knowledge. He does in this interview later on say that second-hand knowledge, he, he's not kind of inclined to pass that on. And usually if someone says to him, I have first-hand knowledge of this. He just drags them straight to Congress and to the IG to testify. He details that he spoke to congressional staffers and their lawyers for over five hours, giving testimony of what he'd found. And he cleared up a point for me as well around here where he speaks about the different complaints he has in with the different inspector generals. The DOD, the Department of Defense Inspector General, this is the one that they've been in this gift to look at and that they're due, due to look at as well because he's given permission for them to see that complaint. This is about the reprisals to him. However, the intelligence community, Inspector General complaint, that was about the UAP legacy programs. So we haven't heard the congressional staffers go in to hear about that yet. Um, they start to talk about the, the legacy and the history of the UFO retrieval programs. Um, and when did, the, Rogan asks them, you know, when did they first realize that these things were, were real? When was this happening? Does it predate Roswell? Um, and he, they talk about the 1933 retrieval in Magenta in Italy. Um, he said he's clear to talk about it. Um, I've seen a lot of folks say this was a proven hoax. There are parts of it that are. There's certain paperwork that's out there that's from a certain ufologist that seem to be hoaxed. Yeah. But there seems to be a deeper story here that there was some kind of truth to that and the person just exploited that story and kind of filled the gap. You've got to wonder as well, you know, in an intelligence way, counterintelligence, you know, just stuff that area with a bunch of stuff that isn't true so that if someone goes looking, they go, oh, it's a hoax. And it just looking. takes one thing to smell bad and the rest yeah. of the, the rest of the meal goes off, doesn't it? You start Absolutely. to worry like... Um, the Grush seems well, pretty confident and he, it sounds like he's seen a lot of other things. They even say he details that at the end of the war, they knew where it was, so they went to get it. Um, and this is, we, we spoke about this just a few breakdowns ago about this kind of Cold War stealing craft pieces from each other, like the TV show Debris. And it's it's fascinating. Dan, I recently had like, I, I buy these like um, 
protein yogurts, right? I'm one of those pricks. Um, and <laughs> uh, they're just dead handy for the morning to kind of drink on the go when I'm going to work and if I need to get the bus and stuff. Um, and one of them was like off, even though it was well in date, there was no issue with it. But I, I usually buy seven at a time, so I buy them for the week and I have one every morning. The one that was off, what do you think I'd done to the other six? Just threw them out without looking. Yeah, did, I, did I check? Nope. Yeah, but, you, you know that was it for me. <laughs> yeah. Those were all spoiled, and I was like, I bought these at the same time, same date, same batch code. These are probably the same. It literally could have just been that one or the top of that one, but it was enough for me to say there's an issue with all seven of these, and yeah. that's that's the way I kind of look at some of this stuff. The Lazar story and a lot of things in the UFO topic that it just takes one or two things to be untrue, or just misreported for a, any number of like totally prosaic or, or fine reasons nothing you know um malicious but it can sour the mood or sour the story and that's exactly what i what i think of with that that but it seems to me to be fair that there was something likely that was retrieved that was crashed at least it was reported on and that's what david grush is saying he said it reported it was a um it was empty just an artifact uh, he said you could infer that there were earlier crashes, but he couldn't talk about those. Um, I think that one's easy to talk about because it wasn't in the US. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they're not going to want to give away their secrets. And it not being in the US means that other countries' intel uh, operations would have picked that information up as well. So that's stuff that he probably knows is out there, you know. This was the first time I've heard him detail how big it was. He said about 20 by 10 feet, but he was very, you know, hands in the air. He was like, I don't remember every detail. No. I'm just telling you what I can remember and what I'm allowed to talk about. He's very good at clarifying when he says, you know, I'm telling you something I know. I'm telling you something I was told. I'm telling you something that I could roughly remember or I'm speculating. Um, he's, he's pretty good with that if you go through all of his stuff and he tends to qualify what he says pretty clearly. Yeah. Um, I like the description though, and this is something that was talked about recently though on the podcast. He mentions that the, the acorn or bell shape from the object was made due to impact uh-huh. and that the sides came off. And it's just an interesting idea that with these saucers with a dome that the sides could either be detachable or removed and that the Makes me think of Star Trek, you know, when the Enterprise separates and it's not all just one big piece. Oh, yeah, think for sure. is. So is it some kind of failsafe that those sides came off? Or Because, again, we hear these things are a solid object, don't we? And they're mm-hmm. one seamless piece. So why with this one do you think the sides would have came off and it just left us with a squashed, round belly acorn shape? Yeah, you can you can infer a lot from it even going as far as to say maybe it was manufactured you know you make the the sphere in the middle and then you fit it with its skirt type thing you know the the plates that make it look like a saucer they, there's a lot that can be inferred from that um maybe maybe they just came off you, you know because of impact but it seems to suggest a weak point between those sides and and the central piece or man-made possibly you're looking at you're predating world war Two, after world war one you're kind of not yet at the point of super secret Nazi tech that would kind of be a story from that time. You're a few years out still. Don't know. It's a strange one, um, but you don't usually think of bits falling off, do you? Like no. In that sense. So interesting there. That could be one of those, you know, um, points though that just was wrong, wrongly reported. You're going back almost 100 years now. 1933, you're thinking of it that way. It's 90 years ago. Um, so yeah. Whenever um, I talk about the legacy programs and where they start, I always kind of, I'm used to saying like 70 odd years because of when I grew up, but it's not. You're right. It's approaching 100 years now. It's like the 90s was the last decade, but it wasn't. Yeah. It was like almost three decades ago, you know. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, he mentions that not all tech we have or that people think has been back engineered came from a crashed craft that was recovered, but it did inspire other technology, um, which is fair. I, I like that piece because we we talk about that often and we're just like well is is there something that just wasn't around and then just suddenly appeared and all the technology we have seems to you're, you're able to trace the history of it you know the transistor they were precursors to it and, and yeah. you can kind of draw the lines between but where these ideas come from and the inspiration for them usually you know something like fiber optics that's mentioned joe, joe rogan mentions that and brings it up but you can see sea creatures who, who kind of have a similar thing and they pass light along these kind of translucent strips that are sticking out of them so we're inspired by nature with a lot of what we create but there, there are some things that 
seem to, you know, the ideas just come out of the ether and any one of those could, could be exactly what David Grush is talking about here. And even the idea that if we didn't get computer chips from that as the modern iteration of the, the microchip because we found something and went, ah, the way this is done, we don't quite understand. But if we done this to something we've got now, it just works better and more efficiently and, and kind of improves on it. That that could be what he means as well, doesn't it? That it just improved technology we were starting to look at. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's a lot that it brought up in my mind from reading Secret Machines, where these craft, the human-made, you, you know, the, the black triangles, the locusts, they call them in the book, there are limitations on them. You know, they're not just these God mode craft. Like once they get out of the atmosphere, they're operating exactly like human stuff operates in space. You know, they drift around. They don't move like they're in this warp bubble. So yeah, it's kind of sprinkling this stuff on to kind of make it more efficient and yeah, various things like that. Rogan asks him a very fair question. Always, I think, is good to bring up to, again, someone like that being on a big audience. Why he can say some things, but not others. And it's, like I say, a really fair question because a lot of folks listening to that are going to be saying, yeah, you can say that, which is quite incredible, but you can't say X, Y, or Z? Come on. Um, and I often wonder, again, still, surely it would be easy enough for the powers that be, the gatekeepers, to to have it that nothing can be discussed? Or is it saying it's easier to let them say enough that it doesn't look suspect? And I think David Grush used your phrase, didn't he, that you've got copyrighted, Dan, that um, <laughs> if they do that, then it indicates there is a there there and that there is something to what can't be discussed, as opposed to let them go out and talk about biologics and crashed craft and don't give specifics because enough folks not hearing exact details will turn their blind eye to it. Yeah, absolutely. For, I was going to say 70 years then, but for 100 years, <laughs> the suspicion has been that all of this sounds so crazy that if you let someone talk about it, it just sounds like they're insane. Whereas now we're kind of coming roundabout on that and, and you know, the conversation's kind of raised a bit between Salt, between this, between what Lou did, uh, I was going to say Grush then, but Kelleher, uh, Lekatsky, the work Nap's done, Cobell, Dietrich, Fravor, all these things are being talked about in a different way now. It's not, it doesn't sound crazy, you know? So I wonder if that policy, if someone sat there looking at that policy now, kind of going, oh, we kind of need to change this because people are believing what these guys are saying. I don't know if anyone listening to this or watching it or yourself, Dan, has had the same thing, but I've had it where if I've been talking to folks about the UFO topic and they start to get a little bit interested and you get into the conversation of, you know, I've said before, what if it's not something coming from too far away? What if it's something else? But there still comes a point where you go too far and you lose them. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's interesting to see in the chat and usually you'll see a line and they go, ah, oh, no, no, that's ridiculous. But they've listened to what you've said so far and there's just something you say and it just totally, and you can't really go back. I think it's like, go away for a few days and we'll we'll reset this conversation. Yeah, you've got to let give people a chance to think. You know, I, I find in conversations, most people are fine with the idea that there's life out there. And the bit where it falls apart is that, is it visiting us? And if you can get past that bit, then you get into the what is it? And when you start presenting the different opportunities, it can, it can get very overwhelming. Uh, Grush goes into holographics and stuff here, and he explains it really, really well. But that's the kind of stuff that I find that people's eyes just start to glaze over, you know? Yeah, it's like going on a date with with someone and after half an hour proposing marriage to them, Dan. You have to, <laughs> yeah. you have to build up to that stuff. It's like you absolutely do. You don't have Groundhog Day with Bill Murray where you get the chance to relive it again tomorrow and learn a bit more about them and then go back again and learn a bit more about them and make a mistake and then go back and change it. It's... Yeah, that's the way the conversation kind of kind of falls down. Um, it reaffirms again the whole double digit crash retrieval conversation. If you haven't heard his previous stuff on American Alchemy or or any other interviews, he's mentioned that the US do have crash retrievals in the double digits. He can't confirm specifics because of national security reasons, which would mean if, for example, China knew they have a living or thought they had a living craft in their possession, they are comfortable with that and maybe have some of their own intel on those 11 craft. But if David Grush comes out and suddenly says, ah, we've got 15, then that puts a lot of pressure that foreign adversarial agencies or private agencies even, not just foreign adversarial stuff, but private agencies start to go, okay, what's the other four? Where are the other four? Do we start looking for them? Exactly. Do they start infiltrating? And it gets a bit James Bond, but 
that happens. So I get why he's quite coy on that, and it's I understand. Imagine, imagine the next James Bond is a UFO related one. Ah, they tried that with Won't Indiana. Be great. <laughs> Indiana Jones tried that, and I don't think it went too well, to be honest. So this is true. Uh, People weren't ready for their ultra terrestrials then. <laughs> that was the problem. It wasn't much at all. UF 007. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so there we go. Get um, out. Yeah. Um, Grush says he's here to protect national security, but also wants to put out the topic for public consumption. Elements of the topic. I think at some point he mentions ninety percent of it. Is, is there that could be for yeah. public consumption, academic, you know, um, conversation, debate, discussion, analysis. But he understands there's probably still 10% of it that should be classified and isn't for public consumption, which, again, there'll be reasons for that that he's not totally gone into. But he does mention nuclear weapons and weaponry. And I always remember, Dan, years ago, there was a thing in the paper that, and it was probably not true because I was quite young, but that Saddam Hussein was buying lots of PlayStation 2s because they were so powerful. They the was processes, going to, I remember. Yeah, <laughs> he was going to build a supercomputer with them and it was really dangerous. Same thing that they could put little mini nuclear batteries in our phones and the battery would last forever. You never have to charge it, but they can't trust people not to buy lots of them and blow them up to kill people. And it's just like, yeah, that that, that is the same reason we have said before, Dan, alien confirmation overnight of a non-human intelligence doesn't mean tomorrow they're going to dump a lot of anti-gravity technology no. on the public that just won't happen exactly and it's going to be more complicated than you think you know i, oh, I can yeah. say to someone a battery and someone will go yeah that's symbol a battery but if the world came down and they had to make a battery for themselves they wouldn't have the foggiest and i count myself in that group too you know i wouldn't be able to oh, make yeah. a battery on my own so uh yeah there's when people say it's relatively simple to make free energy yeah that's it's that is relative you know 100 percent. it's it would still be manufactured elon musk would probably still get the handle on it and you would have <laughs> to buy the new tesla ufo model and it would cost money it wouldn't be free and that's yeah same with the the medicine and the uh, all the kind of things that may come from it maybe some stuff would get pushed out there but yeah i'm i just don't see how it wouldn't still be commercialized um yeah, absolutely. And thinking of like, you know, how they would make the most money off of this stuff. I've always thought the best way to do that would be to just let everyone believe that the energy is, you know, gas and coal and everything like that. And just install this tech in power plants so that no I've one thought knows of that where before. it's coming from. And then they just carry on to get, carry on getting their record profits like they are, but no one's none the wiser. Do you know, that's utter nonsense, Dan, right? But I have had the exact same thought. That <laughs> you could just be putting fuel in cars that just naturally fizzles away and you would never know because of some little device in your car that just goes anyway uh yeah interesting but utter nonsense dan um <laughs> it's kind of stuff that gets you barred via an algorithm isn't it like, yeah yeah <laughs> um spreading disinfo um so in spring 2021 he mentions really interesting point for me here he met with senator harry reed around nine months before he died he flew there with a few other folks any guesses as to who those might have been dan i imagine his colleagues in the uaptf yeah um reed confirmed what he had already heard so there was nothing necessarily new that harry reed was telling him i'm sure there were a few things but it was the fact it was senator harry reed telling him what he was that he was like wow there really is it was the confirmation for him Um, that was probably his disclosure moment his confirmation moment um that the u.s government had material of non-human origin they were in possession of it that was his wow okay, this is something I'm really going after now. Um, that was about 35 minutes now into the interview and a whole hell of a lot had been talked about. Yeah, it, it went real fast. And this is where we get into that kind of OSAP ATIP yeah. stuff as well. I really appreciated this detail because we had Lakatsky recently allude to there being uh, a different reason than everyone thinks yes. for OSAP existing. And here, Grush details it. And basically the idea was that OSAP would set itself up with this big secure warehouse and all of the tech would be transferred to them from Lockheed. They are named. And that was, that was the $22 million. That was yes. the, the actual amount wasn't, Oh, that's a small amount, but it was for building to house materials. Wasn't it? And transportation yeah. of materials. Exactly. So it seems that Lockheed wanted to divest themselves of this material because they weren't getting the scientists and engineers and stuff like that on it 
Grush gives a really good example at this moment where he says, you know, imagine that you're a hotshot engineer out of school and Lockheed says to you, okay, you know, don't write any papers, don't do any public work. You can work on this really cool thing, but I can't tell you what it is until you sign this bit of paper. And once you've signed the bit of paper, your life is ours. Who's going to sign that? You know, you're, you're going to have a brain drain on that project. So the idea here was that if they established a separate entity, people could work on them in stovepipes, work on little bits of the tech, similar to the Manhattan Project, where people didn't, uh, the fuses used an example, where people working on the fuses for the atomic bomb didn't know they were for the, the atomic bomb. So you yeah. can kind of work it that way. And then, you know, you're kind of slowly getting this stuff out uh, and worked on and some progress seen. What happened, though, is and there's another f bomb here from Grush is that basically the the CIA said f you to them and said mm. that it wasn't happening. That has been reported previously by Chris Sharp at Liberation Times. It's been reported by Michael Schellenberger as well, only without those kind of program names and the government agency mentioned. Now we've got the details of that. We know like this seems to be owned by the CIA. The CIA doesn't seem to want to let it get out of their hands. However, if we want to make progress on it we're going to have to loosen that up a little bit. And that the idea that any company would use various different places to build any type of product isn't new or exclusive to top secret, you know, government pro, uh, private contractors. I work for a television company in the UK, Dan, and the company makes like TV boxes. Uh, their last TV box that came out seven or eight years ago was made in different countries as to keep it under wraps. Uh, the motherboard was made somewhere. The shell was made somewhere else. The remote controls are made somewhere. And it was put together by one other place at the end. But they didn't know what they were making. They were just making motherboards. And, you know, that's that's how these things come together. So the idea that if you had people, again, and this is where if let's just use Lazar, you had someone like him who was a, an expert in forms of propulsion he wouldn't have to have expertise in everything else or see everything else or see the bodies. He literally worked in silo in one little thing, potentially. That that stands to reason for me. Um, so I totally get that, what you're saying and what Grush was saying. Um, the... Well, what, since you said his name, since you said Lazar, I just want to mention that Lazar was brought up. Rogan it was. In what, uh, Grush, what he thought of Lazar, and it was totally brushed over. I, I don't... It doesn't answer, does it? It kind of gets like, two, two bites yeah. of the cherry. Yeah, exactly. Like he talks about some other examples, whether that he just doesn't want to, you know, insult Lazar when he doesn't know anything about it. Dave strikes me as that kind of person or whether he doesn't really think there's much to it. I don't know. I got the impression that he just sidebarred on it, not necessarily ignored it, but I would have liked Rogan to have came back on that one and said, but just to clear up on Lazar, anything to that or as I know? Um, yeah, Absolutely. I mean, Lazar is one of Rogan's biggest shows. So yeah. people, people are going to want to kind of know about that. And it wouldn't surprise me if Joe asked Grush about that in yeah, the dinner privately. Before, yeah. And he was trying to get him to say it, you know, say something publicly, but he just, you know, Grush, Grush is very controlled and precise and just didn't do that. Imagine if you got Grush and Lazar on the same show. <laughs> That'd be good. Um, so. Yeah, the little bit of a recap on that, because I've got a similar notes, Dan, just to make sure I've not missed anything. Um, bits of Hull, etc. were kept by Lockheed Martin. $22 million was for building housing of materials. Lakatsky mentioned, um, well, Lakatsky was mentioned after discussing an initial revelations, the book that's uh, George Knapp's interview I've just done is out now. So go and check that if you haven't. Um, I've got Colm Kelleher on in a couple of weeks to discuss that in a second interview. Could you... Um, I'm just going to ask you, I'm going to say something here, and it's not something I would post on social media. I feel like we've spoken about it as I was traveling. But as I was traveling, I had the privilege of reading a couple of the Bass monthly or yearly reports and things mm. like that. Couldn't the get dirt, my own copy. Uh, no, not the dudes. These, no? these are the unreleased things. They're not classified, right. uh, but they are proprietary. So they belong to Bass and it's up to them to release them. And in there, it was alluded to that the facility to house this material was built and does exist. So when you speak to Colm, ask him that. Just ask him to clarify that point because it would be really great for everyone to just have an answer on that. Yeah, awesome. Um, you'll have to remind me because you'd all forget that in about one minute's <laughs> time then. Um, so Grush says Lakatsky should come and testify. Lakatsky was happy to mention in his book that he was part of a meeting and I discussed this with Knapp and Knapp's mentioned it. It's in the book that they basically said they had a craft in their possession within the US and they had to forcibly gain entry to it basically so it wasn't 
didn't have a door by any means that they could tell. I wonder if it was just uh, an object that they've had to literally cut a door out of. At one point, Grush kind of mentions they could have used like carbon lasering or something like that. He kind of, and I never know if he's brushing over something in a, a flippant way to drop a hint or if he is just surmising that it could be something like that. I don't know. Um, but Grush says Lakatsky should definitely testify in a classified setting. And at that point, I felt Grush actually helped the credibility of Knapp and uh, Lakatsky and Kelleher's books there. Not that they need it. That's very much down to the individual to decide whether they think it's all BS or they love it or something in between. Um, but yeah, I thought that was another point where Grush didn't poo-poo all that work and investigation had gone on. Yeah, it would have been really easy for him to do that, right? Uh, that that work was also suggested that you know it wasn't the primary reason for for the program programming existing, but once they'd gotten a no or an fu from the CIA on their initial plan and access for being you know the highest level of secure access program they could they could ask for, once that was denied, they then went to the Skinwalker study to try and gain favor with the the legacy program where they could see, oh, these guys are actually making progress. Maybe we should work with them. Yeah, so it was like very much like the kind of B or C team, but it got them some form of research and work done. Not necessarily exactly what they wanted, but it's not always how these things play out. Um, yeah, I loved how Grush mentioned that he thought it was wild he can actually say Lockheed Martin. I don't think he expected <laughs> to be able to say that, as he mentions. Yeah, we, we've bandied about a few different defense contractors' names for a while, and Lockheed has been up there with all of them so it was it was shocking to hear and great to hear and it's making you emotional dan um yeah that which is <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah um i love how you muted yourself to cough but um then coughed while you're <laughs> off mute so but it's because you said about it and anyone listening doesn't see the the you know me coughing so i literally just saw your button flash and i was like you've just coughed anyway while the mic was on so well done <laughs> for anyone who thinks that was really rude of dan i was on um, mute <laughs> he did try but he done it badly um so Grush is talking about where this stuff might be. Um, he needs to be careful with that. He does say he's passed on street addresses and everything to the people who need to know. Um, but it's the same thing as if Joe Rogan had someone on from the US military and asked them, can you tell me the location of all the US's nuclear weapons right now? They wouldn't be allowed to. Yeah, we can no. guess some of them. but They can't confirm that. Can you tell us where they are made? Nope. Can you tell us where you are housing the materials to make them? Nope. It's the same thing, isn't it? That's it. The the UFO conversation apparently is classified above what they would consider the nuclear nuclear side of things, or at least parallel to it. So Yeah, the, the Atomic Energy Commission I mentioned here, and, and that's come up a few times, you know, the Department of Energy is mentioned in the Schumer Amendment, the, the legislation going through that Grush speaks about during this. And it's been thought for a long time that because in in the Atomic Energy Act, it's detailed, and Grush repeats that here, that basically anything given off nuclear energy falls under that. So it becomes tippy-top secret, you know? That's the official term, tippy-top secret, obviously. And so if these materials were radioactive in any way, shape, or form, they would be locked down under that Atomic Energy Act. So we, we wouldn't see or hear anything about them. And, and that seems to be how they're keeping them under, you know, under cover. I know you're on a limited time, Dan, so we'll try and get through this last part because still quite a lot of notes. Um, so, and this was just, meant to just be just initial thoughts. How good this was, though, right? There's yeah, so and, much in and do you know what? I'm not going to just say this, but I feel the first hour, hour and a half of the interview is pretty structured and has a lot in it. And then I felt it doesn't fall off a cliff by any means, but it goes a bit more haphazard and unstructured, and they start yeah. kind of. I, I don't bit... think that's like. I mean that that's the portion where Rogan's mostly talking, right? That, yeah. You know, I skipped forward a few times because they're talking about cars and things like that, and I'm like, yeah, there's nothing here. You know, this is just yeah. a sidebar. So there's definitely more than that first hour, hour and a half, and then yeah. for me, that not that you shouldn't watch it. Like I say, folks, if you do get time, I get two and a half hours, two hours forty one minutes uh, to be precise, is a lot of time. Um, Grush gets asked by Rogan, um, did any? I like this stuff. Did any foreign agencies or spies essentially infiltrate this stuff? David Grush says he can mention that Intel documents that he had read talk about documents stolen by the US that a foreign agency was discussing the US reverse engineering programs, i.e. the US managed to steal documents from, let's say, China, where China was reporting on the US's 
reverse engineering program. So that was something he mentioned, which was pretty interesting. That's, that's that, I mean, that's going to make a great movie one day. Isn't oh, hundred percent. Yeah. And, and the levels of illegality, illegality here are crazy as well. You know, the, the program that's secret in China is stealing from the program that's secret in America. And then America's illegally stealing from that program. And it's just it just keeps going, you know. The, the levels are insane, yeah. and the program's illegal in itself, anyway. <laughs> yeah. So, yep, it's it's just kind of layers of bureaucracy, isn't it? Amongst the, all the... the the rule I always hear is never break two crime, never do two crimes at once. You know, never break two laws at once. Uh, so don't speed and carry a gun in your car in the UK. You know, because they'll <laughs> they'll knock you down. Um, but here we have just crime upon crime upon crime upon crime. You, you know. If you're going to do it, go at multiple, go at four, five, six crimes. That's Robert Downey Jr. level, you know. Yeah. Damien Rice levels of nine crimes. <laughs> there you go. Good song, folks. Um, but yeah, um, when he followed up on this to ask more, he was professionally told GTF again. Um, so the administrative middle finger. Um, folks that are, this is what I've put a note that there's so many folks sure that there's a process to follow and you can mention FOIA in here. Well, we have checked this and they have said no. There's a process that he was meant to be part of and he was meant to get information and he was just told by the folks at the level that he should have been told information, no, we're not telling you, and had the door slammed in his face. So, yeah. And and apparently, the, the, so this is where he talks about reprisals against him and his wife that supposedly an organization that went unnamed, he doesn't know who they are, showed Dave Grush and his wife that they could touch me anytime they like. And also twice he, said one, he twice, mentions yeah. there was two incidents. That's right. And and also kind of said that there was a harrow moment for him where his boss got just reassigned. Yeah. Just out of the blue as a kind of show of force from these guys. And uh it seems that people are kind of hot on the trail of that. There's an article on Fox News from uh just literally the past few days, um, where lawmakers are asking why the director um of actually i'm not going to say what director of because it's not here but just someone that worked at the department of energy asking why a certain director there was reassigned after 11 years of great service just mm. out of the blue so i wonder if it's this guy um and just so people have a name let me find his name uh do you want to talk for a second while i find his yeah. name <laughs> I, I was going to say on that anyway there's a little bit i think before that but before we get to that that you just skipped over on the schumer amendment sure. I think that stuff came after, but I was going to get to that. It's literally around the same area. Um, Ooh, Stephen Black, the director of the Office of Intelligence and Counterintelligence. That's a made up name. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, Stephen Black. Yeah, that's yeah, that's made up. Um, I got the feeling that it's pretty terrifying, isn't it? And I've made a note here, and it, it was after, like, Grush says, I've ruined my career doing this. You know, he was going to make Lieutenant Colonel, I can't say that in English. Lieutenant Colonel, this winter, um, <laughs> he had a flourishing career, which he left to hold the government accountable for. It would have been easier for him to stay in his job and just not pursue this. He talks about his two best friends dying, both in different ways, had yeah. huge impacts on him. Um, it's a person who's sitting there, forget whether they're right or wrong, and whether you agree with them or not, whether you believe what they say. They don't just sit between interviews and wait on the next media company coming along. He's living his life and all of this stuff has had a massive, massive impact on him. And like you say, he mentions agencies coming after him. Um, there seemed to be a lot of stuff being aimed at him from there. But the two incidents in particular involving him and his wife, is that a case of he woke up uh, overnight and something was left in his house to make a point that we've literally been in your house and we could, you know, something like that? Because he made it out that almost like it wasn't a physical thing, but it was just a reminder. We yeah. can get to you whenever you want. Did the go out, leave his car for groceries, come back out to the car, and there's a sticker sitting there, or you know, just a a name badge, a name tag, a something, a little reminder to say anytime we want, we could we could do what we need to do. Um, and he's reported all that, which is quite right, um, obviously. But that's for me when people say, why don't these? And this is just anyone on social media, anyone in general. When you say that, why don't these folks just come out and tell us everything they know? Well, here's a guy not even telling us everything he knows and look at what's happening to him. Um, it just doesn't hold weight for me anymore that people can just expect that. I would love if David Grush turned around live in TV and went, you know what, or a Lou Elizondo or a Chris Mellon, I'm done with this now and I'm just going to tell you everything right now and I'm going to go to jail. And they literally sat and done. Of course we would watch it, but 
that has a huge impact on them, their family, their loved ones, relatives, friends, um, all of the above. So I, I totally get that. Um, and, just and as to- Dave says in this as well, there are a few questions where he kind of stops short. Where one where he kind of flags up the idea that you know maybe some of these pilots of the craft they recover weren't dead, and then he stops and says, "But that's not for me to say," because you know Grush revealing this on Rogan for you and I we're watching it we're into this we we you know live and breathe this kind of subject we've heard it before and it's not going to be disclosure right we'd need someone like the president of the United States to come out and kind of make that as impactful as it can be and as official as it can be. So I don't think Biden listens to Rogan. <laughs> probably not. But, you know, it, it speaks to the idea of an authority having to say it, that, you know, you're not going to get disclosure from a UFO conference or a podcast or something like that. It, it's going to come from a official source, whether, you know, you trust the president or not. It D- doesn't matter. You know, a lot of people do. So it, this this has to be spoken about in a serious manner from an official source and rolled out in the correct way so as to avoid a, a what was the term, catastrophic disclosure. He talks about, just before that, he talked about the Schumann Amendment, and this was also known as the UAP Disclosure Act 2023, which is part of the Fiscal Year 2024 National Defence Authorization Act, or NDAA. I can't even say it once slowly <laughs> in this accent. My tongue gets stuck a lot and when I say things. Um, <laughs> what it is, is essentially made up of a few different aspects. Uh, the main part he talks about is and this is where you can go into too much detail and I get lost in it. I think he summed it up really nicely for the audience that were there, where the main part is a presidential panel or agency made up of nine people, including economists, scientists, academics, who can look at how they can go forward with a, a nine-year UAP disclosure plan set from 2024 to 2030. Um, I think that's something people are going to see more of in the coming weeks when Carl Nell his presentation comes out from the Sol conference. There was some stuff in there on that. I know it's been shared online, folks, and I did mention in the Discord chat, Gary Nolan is still looking for people to not be sharing stuff, even though a lot has been shared. I asked Gary, that's what he said. So just out of respect for that, and I'd quite like to go to the next one, I'm going to not share anything. And when it goes officially out, then I'll, I'll, I'll comment on it properly. But yeah, I know there's some stuff out there online already. Um, Grush mentions Dan though that it's super important this goes through. However, Charles McCullough III, who was Grush's lawyer at the hearings, is yeah, that right? He was rap, yeah, yep, he was the guy sitting behind him next to Nap. Um, he was at the Sol Foundation gig, and he commented that it wasn't a major deal if it did fall through. Like there's contingencies. I don't think there's too much to read into that other than how they view it personally is that yeah i think so too you you know both you and i can look at the same thing and see different things in it i don't think it's the end of the world if it doesn't pass i'm confident it will pass it's just what language will be in it and what language won't and you know maybe it'll be moved to next year you know this we always talk about the stick and the carrot you, you know giving, giving some incentive for these people to come forward maybe that'll be shimmy down the road a little bit just to give it a little more breathing room um i don't think it's too crazy that that they would say different things like that the Around by here, Grush mentions um, some politicians that are maybe blocking this bill. You've almost uh, read my next line. Oh, really? This is um, Mike Turner and Mike Rogers. That's Mike Turner of Ohio or Mike Rogers of Alabama. So if you live in those uh, constituencies, get in touch and let them know that you want that to pass because there might be some funny business going on here. And Mike Turner is the chair of the House Intel Community, and Mike Rogers is the chair of the House Armed Services Committee. Um, He tears Mike Turner's reputation apart a little bit because Mike Turner went on, is it like Fox Business News or something? That's right. The day after the hearings, didn't even refer to David Grush by name, but came out and called him that whistleblower, doesn't know what he's talking about even though David Grush had been invited to a meeting that was arranged by his department that he wasn't at, but his staffers were, and he had spoken to them. So he was like, I don't think he was happy with that. Um, he basically destroys his credibility by, for calling his into question. So a little bit of a personal issue there, but I, I can see why um, when he's tried to kind of shoot him down a little bit. Um, yeah, you really wonder what's going on. And, and Mike Turner, he's the guy that looks after the region with Wright Patterson, um, Air Force Base, which is where the museum was. You know, I, I got the the pleasure of going to the museum itself just last year 
and the moment wasn't lost on me, you know, uh, Elena and I went to the front gate of Wright Patterson and were just like the secrets that could be in here, you know. And you were like, let us in, and they went, okay. Now we're <laughs> between nine and five. Visit, the Dunkin' Donuts on the base. <laughs> that's that's disgusting. Disgusting. Uh, <laughs> let's storm Wright Patterson Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> um, don't start hashtag. Um, so really big question, I liked, and probably the last big one for me um was joe rogan asking him what do the folks in charge think this is i like that he brought it back round because a few times the conversation got sidebarred a little bit with various things all interesting stuff but rogan did bring it back to you know and it almost feels like this is a conclusion before they just dip into random stuff um grush says the phrase et extraterrestrial is used but in his personal opinion um it feels like he's not massively happy with that being used as a, as a term yeah um he says, we have a couple of conceivable buckets, and he mentioned using the work of Jacques Vallée and others who have thought about deeply on the issue. He talks about various old texts and events shaping and influencing how people view UFOs. He sits around the, the interdimensional shadow biomes idea, but also that there are potentially origins of some of these things that we as humans just can't conceptualize. Like, it's hard for us to even understand where they might be from, if indeed they're even from somewhere. That's almost, yeah. and that that's something I don't even totally understand what I'm saying there, but it's that whole thing of, they're not from anywhere. Well, what do you mean? Are they from here? No, but maybe that's even the type of thing that they're, they're getting to, do you know? Yeah, not yeah. Sound like absolutely. an absolute stoner, but yeah. It's well, it's it's hard to get into these things. Grusher at one point kind of says our, our meat isn't suited to thinking of this. Our meat is stuck in three D, and it's true. You know, our, our biology give allows us to think so far. But one of the more out there ideas, and I love this because I don't think I've read this anywhere else. You know, the the idea of us being inside some kind of big organism. Sure, that that's kind of come across before, but Grush mentions. Uh, the, the example he uses is when we reproduce, we make a baby and we can see that baby and it's kind of its own little ecosystem of, you know, cells and bacteria and so on and so forth. What if in 4D space, you know, higher dimensional than us, when they reproduce, they make universes? And it, it's a really simple idea, but it is profound, right? You, you know, if we could describe anything as god it would be that from our perspective but from its perspective it would just kind of go eh i don't even see you guys down there you know you're not something i think about when when i create a universe so it was really really fascinating to hear him go into this he mentions around 58 minutes in um i recommend folks watch around that time for a few minutes at least because he explains theories of like projections from other dimensions and how that may come across he mentions imagine us as a 3d being like we are casting a shadow mm -hmm. but then being a 2d being looking at a 3d object when you're a flat 2d object how wild that would be and how incomprehensible that would be that's then what we are like you say having to look at in a different dimension um you just can't comprehend it like yeah you know, absolutely mario jumping out the platform and then becoming 3d <laughs> yeah exactly uh mario is a really good example i always like the idea of you know if you draw a little person on paper and you draw a square and you say that square is that person's safe and they're going to put something in it from our perspective, or from their perspective, that thing is in the safe. It's impenetrable. No one can get in there and get that out. From our perspective, we can just see inside the safe. It's not that we have magic powers or anything like that. It's just that our perspective is different. John Keel spoke about this from, he, he called it a window washer point of view. You know, sometimes uh, someone can have more information, but it doesn't make them magic. So for example, if you were stuck in traffic uh, and you all you could see was the traffic jam, there could be, on the building next to you on a skyscraper, a window washer further up. That window washer can see the car crash. They can see the reason you're stopped in traffic, but you can't. It doesn't make the window washer magic. It just means that there's a different point of view on that event for them. Something else can view the whole thing, but they can see five minutes at the same time. Precisely. And doesn't even get involved in the car crash because they move out the way because they see the whole thing happening all at once. Like, that's, yeah sorry folks if it's late night and you're listening to this and you're going what um, <laughs> but yeah my my notes start to get very 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 minimal here now dan because it's like an hour hour and a half into the conversation and i've got that um 
Grush, uh, it loses structure, but it's worth watching. They get very relaxed, I feel, at this point, and it's almost like Rogan relaxes into the interview and just feels comfortable going back and forward with, like you say, some of his ideas, some of his conversations at this point. Um, and he he mentions um, Grush talks about Homo sapiens 2.0. Potentially, we are some other sentience experiment like the Matrix, but not that we are in the Matrix, but the idea that we are that wonder what happens with you know homo sapiens 2.0 after the great flood wiped out the first lot that it wasn't really working maybe that's where atlantis went that kind of stuff then we are the next try at that and if we do really badly do they end up with a 3.0 um kind of a real life sim city is what i always think of in that scenario something's looking at us seeing how it goes seeing how it plays out seeing how we develop seeing if we make use of our capabilities and what we could be um, probably not going too well at this moment in time. Yeah, it, it's really intriguing to think of all the cycles that could have happened given given the length of time our planet has been around, the universe has been around, so on and so forth. That's another thing that our brains just can't comprehend. You know, we can think back to last year, but many people listening to this will agree, you know, every year that passes feels quicker than the last one. But we can't comprehend a thousand years, 5,000 years, a million years, you know, it's just not something we're built to do. Unfortunately, even um, there's, there's a point where they speak about near death experience. Yeah. And I really like this because Rush was explaining when people come back from near death experiences, they don't have the language to talk about the experience that they had to talk about the oneness that they experienced when that happened. So I, I think that's kind of connected here with this subject and with this phenomena, especially when we think about Skinwalker and the Dino Beaver and things like that. People are grasping for language with the frameworks that we have. But Grush mentions that Eric Weinstein doesn't even think we have the framework to talk about this stuff yet. And that's probably true. Mm. So we need to just acknowledge that it's real and, and work towards it. Um, last few things that for me, he talks about various religious theories, how those could play into things that something being truly godlike doesn't totally negate other religions and their validity i think he was playing it politically there um he mentioned one of my favorite films on the topic of kind of phenomena men aesthetic goats with george clooney and co great movie absolutely if you haven't seen it obviously it's based on a book based on a true story i think it even starts the movie with the more of this is true than you would believe um definitely go and watch it absolutely fantastic movie funny poignant and yeah it's got remote viewing at the heart of it which is pretty cool yeah absolutely and and when you watch that film with the idea that oh there's some nuggets of truth in here you you know to this method they don't understand the how of it but they know that it works it becomes even more fascinating right absolutely um anything else from the rest of it for you dan um there was a little bit where they talk about uh the cia and the consciousness studies they were doing in the 50s that seemed to allude to perhaps this was research around how to open a craft or something like that not new we've heard that before but it's the first time we really heard grush properly get into it there they also talk about um, that military contractors shouldn't see this as a bad thing. They should see it as a boon because it's going to let them get uh, you know, more people onto these projects, more progress happening, more opportunity for them to make money. So they should be supporting this and eager. They're just going to have to get used to someone else's hand being in the cookie jar with them. I thought that was a really nice analogy there. Absolutely. Overall, Dan, I'll ask you a question. Um, I asked this online. For you, is this... Uh moment of disclosure is this a progress is it are we just you know staying in the same spot jogging on the same spot what is this for you what is this interview this interview for me would be the thing i recommend people watch about david grush if they have the time to it's not disclosure but there's a lot of actionable info here. So I expect a lot to come from it over the next few days. You know, I imagine John Greenwald is there filing a bunch of different foyers for things that we haven't even realized are in there. There are other people running with different aspects of it. There's so much here to, to run with. I, I don't think this is disclosure, but I feel like it's going to be propulsive for the activism around the UAP issue. Yeah, definitely go and give it a watch, folks, especially that kind of first hour, hour and a half. You'll get a lot from it. Um, Wonderful recap. And like I say, you see a lot of David Grush, the person, no editing, you know, just getting to sit there and have a conversation. Uh, 
and a lovely trip away i'm sure as part of that as well so yeah excellent and i was more than happy to step aside and allow joe rogan this one so <laughs> he owes me one dan well i can't believe you won that arm wrestle but i gave it up anyway left-handed as well um <laughs> So yeah, but Dan, thank you for joining me at a short notice. And uh, folks, if you enjoyed this, great. Make sure you leave the podcast a review. Been a while since I had a flurry of those coming in, especially on the old Apple and Spotify platforms. Five-star reviews are always welcome. Um, and if you haven't yet listened, the George Knapp interview that was out earlier this week talks about a lot of stuff that David Grush touches on in during that interview as well, which is probably um, nice coincidental timing as well. So awesome. Yeah, good stuff. Dan, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me and thank you for listening, everyone. Thank you. Speak again soon. That is all for this episode. Thank you very much for tuning in. Don't forget to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. Apple and Spotify do make a huge difference to the algorithm. If you're checking the show out on YouTube, please don't forget to like and leave a comment on here as well. Any sharing you do is very much appreciated on any social media platform. And finally, you can listen to shows ad-free and sponsor-free in their glorious full versions by subscribing for less than the price of a coffee on Apple, Spotify, just search That UFO Podcast Premium. YouTube, you can sign up and be a member or you can do that through patreon.com. Thank you very much for listening, folks. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little Baroque and quite steampunk like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Folk. The little...